now listening to enter vr the podcast about all things virtual reality i'm chris miranda your host and today i'm speaking with barry poseman barry is a content creator and a co-founder at variable labs barry thank you so much for joining me on, joining me on the show how's your day going oh day's going great thanks for having me great 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 okay so let's get right to it um what is variable labs Variable Labs is a uh, it's a technology lab where we um, have actually sort of transitioned away from custom content and we are moving into a more um, sort of platform place uh, with our technology. We've um, had the uh, uh, lucky opportunities to get to work with some great companies um, as and organizations as we have built out kind of uh, what we think and what we found to be the most successful way to train people. Um, on soft skills, uh, and and that has become sort of this interactive uh, virtual environments where people get to make choices under under pressure, under the you know the pressure of time. People get to see the results of those choices um, and hopefully learn from those lessons. And uh, so we found that that's been the most effective way for a lot of people to learn. And and with companies, um, of course, they have to train a lot of employees about these sort of things, whether it's emotional intelligence. Um, or you know empathy or other soft skills and uh, and so that's where we've been and we're moving into a platform place where we can allow companies to um, to kind of power their own interactive learning modules their own simulated learning um, content. So tell me why you've chosen uh, to tackle soft skills. Um, VR can tackle so many aspects of you know, the, the brain and, 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 and human improvement. Um, I wonder what you think um, or what your thought process was in, you know, deciding to tackle uh, soft skills. Yeah, so uh, my mission in life has always been to uh, help the most amount of people possible, uh, generally through media. Um, I've really focused my life and career on impact media, and um, it feels like there's a big opportunity uh, in the soft skill uh, in the soft skills sector, um, because, uh, you know, when we teach people that work in companies, how to be more empathetic, how to have, you know, a better understanding of the person they're speaking with, um, that's not just going to help that company sell more shirts, you know, and sort of increase their bottom line. Of course, it will have that, that effect, but really we're changing the world one employee at a time. Um, you know, when they leave that company, when they go home, when they speak with their friends and, um, you know, outside of work situations and, and when they leave that job and go to new jobs, um, that person, the ideal scenario is that these person, people actually um, really take away the lessons uh, from this training and, and become better people in the world. Um, so not just to increase profits for companies, but actually to make people better people. Um, you know, we looked at hard skills and, of course, hard skills 
which would be more like turn this lever, dial this knob to the right number, you know, those sort of things. Um, they are valuable, you know, uh, for training and for companies, but for in our mission, you know, we don't see that as um, as helping the world in the same way as uh, growing soft skills with, with individuals. So how do you convince or how do you um, persuade a company to uh, adopt a VR curriculum for training? Um, you know, and what sorts of skeptical lines of reasoning do you encounter um, as to why it won't work and how do you tackle that? Yeah, we when we talk to companies, of course, you know, we bring the headset um, and and there's a wow factor. There's sort of a novelty factor still today. And, and they want to share that. They want to share that with their employees. They want their employees to think of um, their company and their organization as smart and forward thinking and um, and really like innovative in a way. Uh, and so when they get to um, add virtual reality to their existing training programs, Uh, there's a big opportunity for, for their employees to walk away feeling like their company um, cares much more about them than when they get to, you know, sit in those uh, lecture halls and listen to the facilitator sort of talk and then and then show clips that often sort of have a, a late 80s and early 90s feel to them, um, these sort of HR scenarios. Um, when you do them in the headset and when you actually kind of take us out of that scenario sort of feeling uh, content and move into a more, Um, empathetic first-person perspective-taking content, um, there's really a big opportunity uh, for for employee, not only employee learning uh, and improved uh, retention, but also um, just sort of employee morale uh, and happiness around sort of understanding um, where we are these days with work and learning. It doesn't have to be this sort of, okay, now you go away and you're going to do the learning for three days and, and then you'll come back to work. You know, we try to sell companies on the idea that we can actually be um, always, uh, you know, all of our employees could be uh, sort of perpetual learners and there's opportunities for, um, especially with uh, these interactive VR simulations, there's opportunities for employees to actually go back and back and try Uh, the different scenes over and over from either different perspectives or making different choices um, and seeing how all of those choices play out and, and really get a more robust understanding um, of the messages trying to be uh, relayed. One of the things we get, one of the sort of resistances we get is around ROI. You know, is there a return on investment here? Um, if a company, you know, spends a lot of money, if you, if this company spends a lot of money on, on new training materials, Um, you know, how can they prove that these training materials are actually affecting uh, either their bottom line or, you know, or the company morale, employee morale and, and employee culture? Um, we've found that the most effective way is to incorporate uh, surveys along with the content. So as we uh, as we sort of help the companies facilitate these trainings to their employees, um, we also help them craft a survey, uh, sort of a pre and post survey that they do. Uh, often just a few questions um, that allow the company to see, you know, uh, both are the um, are the participants or employees uh, understanding the lesson, uh, reflecting positively upon the lesson, and then uh, also reflecting positively upon positively upon the whole uh, concept of using sort of uh, emerging technology uh, to help them learn uh, at work. Very cool. And so I'm, I'm, I'm sure you also uh, must recognize that there are limitations to the technology. Um, and, and I wonder what you think those are. Um, and, and 
will those limitations be overcome with better technology as it as as it, as time goes on? What do you think? Yeah. So I mean, right now, um, you know, we're already at a point where we can fully integrate with a company. We can, you know, anyone can. Uh, build a, write APIs to um, to sort of work seamlessly with company employee databases, um, and so on that side of the technology, sort of the back end, the company side, the analytics tools, um, tracking it uh, both at an employee level and then sort of an aggregate um, across all employees level uh, for the for the customers in our case or the the, the large companies. Um, that's already sort of solved, and I think the bigger issues, the bigger hurdles are just around the headsets themselves. Um, the, the HMDs are still uh, <laughs> a little on the dorky side, a little big, a little uh, hot, and, uh, <laughs> and the processors aren't that fast yet. So I think that, um, you know, and of course, they, they, right now it's sort of where a company either has to commit to a learning center, a sort of a room or a physical space where they're going to install either an Oculus Rift or, a, or an HTC Vive, um, or they would need to invest in, you know, 20 to 50 to 100 uh, mobile headsets, which have a phone and a, and a headset and headphones, and there's all these parts, and you got to update the phones all the time. And, you know, so um, there really is still a hurdle around the delivery of this kind of training materials. Um you know, we've looked at two different solutions. One is there's always kind of the mobile-first solution. So, of course, you know, if you're working with a company that have 20,000 employees, um, they're not going to be able to get 20,000 VR headsets. So maybe there's a way to kind of have a mobile-first or that magic phone 360 experience, interactive 360 experience um, for most of the employees. And then to have when people do come together for trainings um, to have a sort of more intimate um, you know, 20 person or 50 person or 100 person um, kind of training where uh, the headsets come with a kind of volunteer. Um, and usually we try and uh, match a volunteer with uh, with about three people on a headset because there's always some glitches or problems or people can't figure out how to start it or they've accidentally pressed the button and now they're back in the menu. Um, so as headsets get better and sort of more intuitive and people get to start, uh, get to be more comfortable with headsets. I think um, that'll be a big improvement and a big way forward for uh, for corporate training and and for this sort of B two B operation. And um, and you know, luckily we do have products uh, on the roadmap of a lot of companies that are uh, relevant in this case. So, for instance, the Oculus Go is an all in one headset that they're uh, saying will be one ninety nine when it goes for sale. Um, and it's supposedly going to be for sale this year in 2018. So, you know, that's a really big, that would be a big win for us, for companies like ours that have to do these kind of trainings um, with with the existing headsets because uh, right now the headsets are almost too complicated for most companies to bother with unless they're really willing to um, put a lot of staff and time and energy into the delivery. Um, but within the next few months, there will be um, better and better solutions for that problem. And so I think um, in line with sort of uh, that talking point, I, w- I want to w- ask you, what do you think is the best thing that could happen to this sector of the VR industry at this point? Um, it, and it seems like one of them being the release of the Oculus Go and other standalone devices being one of them. Yeah, I think that'll uh, that'll make a big difference. You know, standalone devices will be, will be a big boom uh, to the... Um, 
to the whole industry for sure and, and for adoption for sure. I think the other piece of it is kind of, uh, as they call it, the killer app is still waiting to be uh, created or found. Um, you know, there's a lot of different creator tools, which are great, but often people kind of, you know, use Toothbrush for a while and then they kind of move on. Um, right now, the landscape of content is mainly uh, games and mainly games where you shoot things. Uh, so, you know, that of course leads to a particular audience and that audience is getting exposed to this sort of, uh, new technology, emerging technology. But, um, sadly the sort of bigger audience, the larger audience, the more mainstream audience, um, is not being exposed yet. And so, um, you know, as the apps continue to be developed and as large companies continue to support, uh, app development and, and of course, small businesses and individuals continue to support app development, um, I think that we will start seeing more and more mainstream um, use cases for VR. So whether that's like you can imagine a work tools um, sort of app where people can do their Google Docs and their you know spreadsheets and be able to have collaborative meetings and sort of have a like a working environment all within a VR app. Um, you know that might be a big tool that would really open up the floodgates uh, for for the mainstream, or maybe it's. Um, you know, whether it's a, a new um, a Live Nation VR app that's going to be all about, you know, concerts in VR, or maybe it's a, a Hollywood play where instead of right now, you know, one thing that's happening is a lot of Hollywood films, they end up getting kind of a VR spinoff, which is usually about three to five minutes and usually kind of aside from the plot of the film or sort of not relevant, not needed uh, in order to get the, the point of the film. But I wonder um, in the coming years as studios, Hollywood studios uh, and international movie studios um, get more and more into VR and as the audience sort of organically grows, I feel like there's definitely going to be opportunities where they can take existing IP and really create new content, really create independent stories um, that are specific to VR and, and sort of made for VR in a way. Um, and I think that is another way, the a potential way that VR could really kind of like break through to the mainstream. And once that happens, once once more people have tried VR, have used VR, have it at their school or have it at their office, um, then it will become almost intuitive that you would turn to VR to learn something. Because uh, you can only imagine, you know, when you when you uh, watch a movie, of course, um, you can be compelled, but in VR, in six minutes, you can kind of get the same effect of a two-hour-long movie. Um, we can really, like, quickly sink people into the lives of others um, and help them realize the lessons we want them to learn. Do you think that VR is going to become something that's common in the workplace? Or is there things about virtual reality that are inherently made for just be, just to be done in virtual reality? Or So you see what I'm saying? Like, there's... like like. Are there parts? Are there things that virtual reality can't do, and that's why you know that it, you know that aspect of the world, workplace will never get touched, or do you think it's just inevitable that all of the workplace will be um, you know adopting virtual reality? Right. So I do think that it's inevitable that the workplace will adopt uh, virtual reality. Um, when we look at the big thinkers in the VR space, let's take Mark Zuckerberg. Um, who has invested billions uh, in the VR world. So, you know, when they talk about VR, they, they think they talk about it like a, the new computing platform 
You know, that's what they say. And and when we really break that down, um, right now our computing platform is this strange 2D object we call a computer, and it has this screen um, as sort of these windows into the World Wide Web, right, into all the data that the universe, that the that humanity knows. And we have this tool to type into that window, which is a keyboard. We have our mouse, which is also a 2D, you know, you're kind of stuck on this flat plane. Um, but that's not really how people are. That That's not how humans uh, learn and interact with the world. We're spatial beings. Um, we turn around. We know that, you know, even when we're in the cave, when we're cavemen uh, and women, we know that you can look out that way and see that the sun is setting and and, and see the sun is rising. You can look to your right and, and see that there's a fire still going. To your left, you can notice that you have enough food in, the, in your storage space. Um, so, uh, you know, that's really kind of how humans are designed is to be spatial beings. And uh, we've just been limited to the technology of our time um, to interact with each other through these sort of flat screens uh, and flat, um, you know, input devices like a mouse and a keyboard. Um, I can, I think it's pretty inevitable that uh, as we build apps and think about um, how sort of the UX uh, behind the UI behind um, uh, behind VR experiences, how that's going to allow people to uh, enhance their computing ability. Right. There's all of a sudden this opportunity. If your mouse was a three dimensional mouse, what more could you do on the Internet? Right. Would you be able to surf the Web in a more organic and natural and intuitive way? I think yes. And although we haven't invented that 3D mouse uh, yet or that volumetric mouse, it does feel like um, like HTC Vive and, and uh, Oculus and even Samsung and, and every other uh, player in this space, they are sort of creating a future where there will be that volumetric mouse. There will be an input that is volumetric from, from the user. And so um, I think that it's just, it, it'll be a more compelling, uh, convincing, um, and uh, a natural way to interact with data. Yeah, the other day I, um, I, 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 laid my I laid on my couch, I put on my HCC Vive, and I had my keyboard on my on my belly and my mouse next to me, and I went on virtual desktop and I tried for as long as I could to try to work, you know, laying down with looking up with my vibe, and um, you know, and 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 I tried really hard, but it just you know we're not ready. The the headset resolution isn't there. Um, but right. something that I did find is that uh, being immersed helped me. Being immersed in virtual reality helped me um, sort of focus a little better. Um, right. I don't know if it's a placebo, but I but I want to I want to think that you know having uh, a complete complete immersion um, really did help in my productivity. Um, yeah, you know that you could draw a connection probably to all sorts of media, right? If um, if you're reading a great book, you know one of the critics one of the sort of criticisms around VR is that it's antisocial. It's that you know when you're in there, you're just in there, and you're not in the real world anymore. But, you know, if, you, if you're a novelist and you've written this book and you want people to read it, well, you don't want people to kind of half read it but also be having a lot of conversations. The, the goal is to get people so absorbed that all they want to do is read it, that they want to skip meals, they want to put blinders on, they want to put earbuds in so that they can't hear anybody else and just be absorbed in that story. Just like a movie, you know, when you go to the movies, 
you hope that people don't talk during that movie so that you can really fall into the characters and fall into that story. So I think it's a simple connection uh, to draw to VR where just the form factor of a VR headset um, determines that you will be isolated from uh, your sort of natural environment, uh, but at the same time you'll have a deeper immersion, as you pointed out, um, to the virtual environment. And and that's just the goal of all media forever. No one wants to make a TV show that people just put on in the background. You want to make a TV show that people tell their roommates they have to be quiet for um, and try and find a, a quiet moment to watch that show where, oh, man, I have to see this. I have to watch every, hear every line and, and see every, uh, you know, uh, reaction from all the characters because that's really what makes compelling content compelling um, is, that, is that focus and attention from the audience. Yeah, and even um, to even in going to the point of like people talking about how virtual reality can also be an isolationist technology, you know, uh, it it really has come down to a point where you can make it what you want. Um, If you want to be social um, in virtual reality, you can totally be social. There's alt space, there's VR chat, there's high fidelity. I go clubbing in, in in VR chat. Um, and, I'm, and I go dancing and like I hang out with all these people and it's a lot of fun, you know, and I'm making all these friends um, and sometimes without saying a single word, <laughs> all it is is waving my arms around. It's awesome. Right, um, right. And then, but but there's there's times where I want to be, you know, where I want to make something in Google Blocks and, you know, it's a more meditative, more personal experience. Um, so I think that yep. the good thing about VR is that it has a spectrum for, of, of, of experience for, you know, all different tastes. and Yeah, yeah. And one one thing that's nice, just on a kind of uh, a less high-level note, would be like in alt space, one thing that's nice is that they, depending on which headset you come in with, you have different body parts. So if your headset that you're on has, you know, Oculus touch controllers or the Vive, uh, you know, wands, all of a sudden your character, your avatar has hands and you can wave your arms. But if you come in and, you know, just in a Gear VR, then your avatar just doesn't have hands. And so, like, just in some ways that almost uh, allows everyone into the space, no matter what your technology sort of status is. Wow. So I like. Yeah, speaking of hands, I actually have an interesting story. Uh, my, uh, my girlfriend's aunts visited uh, the U.S. from the Philippines, and, it was the fr- and I got them to try the Vive. Um, and complete, this is, by the way, this is a total tangent story. But they they were trying out the Vive, they were freaking out, but the thing that really got to them was looking down at their hands and seeing their hands were robot hands. And they were like, oh my god. <laughs> it was, it was, it was, yeah. Yeah, they weren't ready for that. It was it, Right. It, and it kind of reminds me um, of what my friend Carl Krantz said. Um, he's like, you know, I don't know if the mainstream is quite ready for virtual reality. As, as at this point, and I wonder what your thoughts are on that. Do you think that the mainstream is 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 ready for VR? I mean, uh, you can just uh, when I get asked that question, I just look back to the history of all media innovation, right? So when movies came out and that train came at the audience and people freaked out and screamed and left the theater, I mean, were were people ready for movies then? Probably not, but but that's not to say that movies didn't grow on people. Of course, they did, and you know, when uh, when TV came out and all of a sudden your radio shows turned into visual shows, um, you know, that was a big deal for a lot of people. And people didn't quite know how to act. Um, but they did know how to turn that TV on, right? They did understand how to absorb the content. And so uh, 
in some ways, you know, these sort of Oculus Go's all-in-one headsets, they'll give us that TV that you can just press on and there will be content on the other side. Um, and people will learn how to how to wrap their minds around these sort of virtual environments, virtual avatars, um, you know, new appendages that they get in virtual worlds. Uh, that will that will come. People just need exposure, you know. And and are people ready the first time they they hike a mountain? No, you gotta you practice. You go you small hike a small hill, and then you train, and then now pretty soon you're ready to hike the big mountain. You know, so I think that to say that people aren't ready, I wouldn't want to say that, you know, in sort of definitive terms, because um, every little piece of exposure that people get, even as far as a commercial during the Super Bowl that kind of illustrates or well illustrates the uh, the capabilities of VR, that's going to allow people um, to kind of get used to it. You know, allow their minds to say, "Okay, I see, I, I see what VR is doing." And then when they try it, you know, maybe they freak out at first. But but that was the same when TVs came out. You know, people freaked out at first, and eventually you just keep watching, keep playing. Yeah, definitely. Reactions like that, and um, you know, and, and conversations like this constantly remind me of how early it still is for VR. And exactly. Wow, there's so much yeah, I think potential. 2014 is when the Samsung Gear VR came out, and now it's just the beginning of 2018. I mean, imagine how long the TV took to uh, get into a lot of homes in America. I think at least 10 years before it was sort of a mainstream technology. Um, so there seems like, you know, we're just in a time now where there's sort of hyper news and uh, urgent updates and 24-hour news cycle, and we just need to know more info. And you know, people need a uh, the answer to the problem is sort of like uh, more important than the journey these days. And so, um, you know, I would say we just should take a deep breath and kind of relax and and appreciate where we are in that timeline, um, because we know that in 10 years it'll be so high end, so Hollywood, so glossy and seamless and easy. Um, that uh, we'll we'll look back on this time very fondly, and we'll wish uh, we'll wish for it all over again. I'm sure. Yeah, there's definitely uh, there's definitely going to be a lot of nostalgia. Um, so let me ask you, as a as a content creator yourself, what are your favorite tools to use to make VR? Um, so mostly, I work on 360 video content, um, and uh, but but I do work with technical teams on various kind of game engine uh, driven components to those stories sometimes. Um, but in general, I, sh- I shoot on 360 rigs. Um, I, I've shot on quite a few at this point, And most recently uh, I was in Antarctica actually uh, shooting for discovery VR, uh, two pieces uh, uh, from Antarctica. And then we used the Yi halo uh, from Google and we also had the an Odyssey as a backup, the GoPro Odyssey, um, and they worked out really, really well. Um, just the ability to utilize Google's uh, jump stitching solution um, is really valuable. Of course, not just financially, but um, but it's a really good stitch. Uh, it makes a crisp, clean image, and um, the Halo, unlike the Odyssey, um, actually has a camera that points up. So um, at least that side of it is uh, covered. You don't have to kind of comp in the top, um, but you still, of course, have to comp in the bottom because of uh, because of the tripod being there. But um, but 
more and more of those sort of out of, all in one out of the box cameras are becoming um, preferable, at least for me, uh, rather than sort of the uh, strung together circle of GoPros that you know often are causing errors and uh, overheating and all and all sorts of other things. Sometimes with the GoPros, you know, often people will adapt the lenses, um, and then that can lead to soft focus because uh, on that on that one lens just because uh, sometimes it doesn't quite sit in the GoPro well enough, um, make that connection perfectly. And so you wouldn't know until you get the footage back, you know, sort of at the end of the day or at the end of the shoot or whatever, you wouldn't realize, but you've gotten this kind of like soft focus sometimes out of these um, do-it-yourself type rigs. Um, so I'm, I've, le- I've been leaning more and more toward the uh, Google Jump lineup, which is either the Odyssey or the Halo. Very cool, and but these cameras—they are professional grade. You do, you couldn't get these on the market right now, right? I think they do sell them. I think the Odyssey is for sale for sixteen thousand dollars, and I want to say the Yi Halo is also for sale around seventeen thousand dollars. Um, I'm pretty sure you can buy them. You can definitely rent them. I mean, I know Radiant Images, uh, and I'm sure other rental houses. Uh, are renting, you know, uh, have these cameras available. So you can definitely rent them. And then also Google happens to have a really cool partner program. Uh, Google VR uh, has a, a program where if you uh, reach out to their team, they can, uh, you know, and you kind of pitch them uh, an idea for a story, um, they can sort of grant you access to the camera uh, that they have on hand and then also the jump stitching uh, pipeline. And that's a really big benefit for a lot of folks trying to get into this kind of documentary space, um, sort of social good space, where often there's less funding um, than some of the more commercial projects that are out there. And, of course, you know, Google still uh, lays claim to some of that footage. They want to have it on YouTube and um, and pr- be able to promote it because, you know, of course, you've used their technology. Uh, so, so it is a bit of a... A partnership and an exchange, but I think it's a pretty healthy partnership, uh, in my experience, and so I think it's a, it's just a unique opportunity, and it's and it's a really, um, it's a nice gesture for the the creator community that they they put out. Very cool. Now I'm sure you've gotten this question or, or you had this discussion with people before, but um, do you ever get someone that uh, that asks you or or that comments, oh, 360 video isn't VR. <laughs> And then, and you're like, uh, well, you can view it inside a VR headset, and therefore it has, it, it's 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 a it's a virtual environment. It's still, it's still VR. I think it's VR. What do you think? Yeah, is three sixty yeah, VR I, or not? I say yes. It's still VR. Uh, if you put on a headset and you're transported to another world, uh, a virtual environment, as you call it, I think then you, then you're doing virtual reality. You know, if you um, allowed people to step inside the shoes of a Syrian refugee child, and uh, you um, forgot your own name. You forgot where you are, and when you take that off, you're crying. Uh, you know that that means we've uh, you've been in a virtual simulation. You know, you went to a refugee camp uh, virtually, and and it affected you uh, in the real world. And uh, so, I don't think there's anything anyone that could say that's not virtual reality. Of course. Plenty of people say if you can't interact with it, then it's not like the real world. Um, but I would argue that the limited interactions um, that come with a lot of games are, are also not like the real world. So just because you can click on things and there's hotspots 
uh, doesn't make it m- more VR than if you can't click on things. Now, do you think that um, 360 video will evolve um, to a point where it's going to have more choose your cho- choose your own adventure types of uh, narratives or, or or styles of, of, of creation like or or do you think or you know where do you see the future of the medium evolving to? Um, yeah, I think there's kind of a few versions. Like it would depend on the the project. So if you if you mean storytelling, you know, will storytelling branch into a multiple you know, multiple ending users get a lot of like uh, agency in the story itself. Mm-hmm. Um, will that grow? I think it'll probably be as popular as choose your own adventure novels in the novel world, right? So it, it, as popular as that is, let's call it 1% of all books written in the uh, 70s and 80s or choose your own adventures or maybe 0.1%, um, it'll be similar. It'll be in that kind of space. Now, there is real value in having multiple outcomes and uh, making choices along the way uh, for learning um, and uh, for education. So that, I think, you know, it just would depend on the use case. You know, is Hollywood going to start uh, making films that are four hours of content so that you could choose a great 20-minute path? You know, it seems... Like, it's really hard to get your return on your investment there. You know, in order to do really robust branches, branching stories, um, you just have to have so much content. You need uh, hours and hours and hours of polished, beautiful, well-thought-out, well-scripted, well-acted, well-stitched, color-corrected. You know, everything needs to be beautiful and perfect for all those hours, even though the individual user will will only see such a a small fraction of all that hard work. And so... uh, so I think that probably the storytelling world will stay kind of linear in the way it has been. Um, but we will start to see branching uh, stories, branching narratives as learning paths, as opportunities to reinforce ideas, um, potentials for shifting perspectives, um, you know, when that's needed. So I, I think that, you know, let's say like, if it's a concert and you're going to go there in VR and it's your favorite band and you've paid nine ninety nine, and you can either be the guitarist, you can be in the front row, you can be the person at the soundboard, you could be the, you know, and like you could move kind of around. Um, that, that could be a future that, you know, this uh, live nation VR app that I've invented uh, it would do. But is that, I don't know if it's going to catch on. Is that better than just being in the front row the whole time? Is it more distracting? And you could say that that actually isn't going to affect the outcome, right? Like the outcome is the song still has a beginning, a middle, and end. You're just kind of moving around the space rather than um, if you, let's say, you took on the perspective of the guitarist and then maybe you messed up. You were the guitarist all of a sudden and you messed up the chord. Then would the audience boo? And, you know, like, so I, I, I only can um, uh, <laughs> begin to imagine all the different possibilities. But my guess is that those musicians want that. They want the song in a linear uh, to play in a linear way as they've designed it, and so um, the interactivity will not influence that that path. Um, yeah, if that makes sense. It almost you know for something like a, a Live Nation VR kind of app, I kind of I kind of re- it kind of reminds me of something like the Wave VR, uh, mm. where in what the Wave does is really good is the creation of visuals. Um, mm-hmm. And it, that that go really well with the music, um, and I think that's 
something that's interesting and looking and something worth looking into. Um, but yeah, Live Nation VR, uh, I think. And does the wave? Does the wave VR? Uh, is it interactive in the way that is it responsive to how you interact with it or or did, or the visuals not related to your interactions they're more from the music I need to get back to you on that one it's been a while since I've been in the wave and they've done a lot of updates on it so yeah, I've done yeah. It, I, the last time I did the wave was a year ago so I'm sure if they've done a lot more to make it better got it got it um, I might as well just yeah. ask Aaron Lemke himself <laughs> um, great but yeah, I think uh, you're you're definitely hitting on something where you know people do want to experience live events and with, at the in the comfort of their home, you know. And 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 mind you, like why experience the office? Uh, why not experience the office from the comfort of your home as well? Do you think that right? You know, for sure. Uh, there will be uh, how big is the potential for VR to become sort of like the second office for for people, you know? I think there's a big potential for that to happen as the tools get more intuitive and easier to use uh, and as more headsets kind of get integrated into houses and households. Um, I think that that will definitely, that is a, a definite potential future. Um, already we're seeing a lot more sort of distributed working teams, um, offices where people you know work from home and work from all over the country or, or even all over the world. Um, but still are able to accomplish a lot and, and be very successful. And so uh, I can only imagine that as the tools get better uh, for VR work scenarios, um, people will start to utilize those at home instead of needing to go in. And, I mean, in some ways, when I look at uh, at all this autonomous cars, you know, right now in San Francisco, we have all these self-driving cars going around uh, more and more these days. And... Uh, and it feels like, well, there's a whole second opportunity for either an office or a, or a living room scenario, right? Like if you just mapped the windows into like a VR experience, well, now you have this awesome new office that while you sit in traffic, um, it gives you maybe an hour and a half of, of time to, you know, have meetings and get work done and uh, or watch your favorite movie or whatever it may be. Uh, but it feels like that's kind of a new it's going to become kind of a new living room and a new opportunity for VR and, and for sure AR as well uh, to be a real uh, presence in people's lives. Um, you know, when you're at home, of course, there's plenty of distractions and other things to do and there's laundry and you got to chop the vegetables for dinner tonight and all the other things that come along with life. But uh, when you're in that car, you're sort of trapped. Uh, and um, so you're, you're a participant, whether you will it or not. And so, um, it feels like that's a really sort of a, a at least a first step um, in utilizing an existing uh, IRL space uh, for kind of virtual learning, virtual entertainment, and, and virtual creation. Yeah, you know, going back to productivity, I I, I feel like one of the things that, I I have a lot of um, you know dialogues in my mind about how it's going to pan out, you know, and uh, how it is that virtual reality is going to you know, become that second office. And I think one of the things that, you know, I see it as, as an obstacle is in people like me, the UI, as long as it's, if it's volumetric and it's intuitive um, and it feels organic, I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to adopt it. But I think right. that for the general population, the biggest selling point would be um, for VR to be more efficient, 
to be able to give you the ability to give you back your day, give you back a couple hours of your day that you otherwise yep. didn't have because now you can yep. do things faster. Um, right. And so that's the ultimate, I think, challenge for UI designers for VR applications that are for productivity, that they need to make, make it so that I can do things faster in VR. And, and sometimes... And I wonder whether, you know, making giant hand movements, swinging my arms around over long periods of time will be that <laughs> way to, for me to do that. And, you know, I don't know. I, 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 that's why I was experimenting with laying on my, on my, on my back and on my, on my couch while having the keyboard over me. Because I, I wonder if, you know, if, if the little, as little movement as possible. You know, I think right. my, 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 the, whole, the holy grail for uh, the ultimate productivity in my mind is um, eye tracking. The moment yep. where you're able to, tr- tr- you know, have your eyes tracked and be able to navigate the internet with your eyes, um, just that will be a lot more seamless. And I think that will give VR that leg up that you know we're, we finally we're, we're finding looking the UI designers are looking for. I think. Um, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know what? what do you I mean, yeah, yeah. When I look at um, the previous, so I'm always like thinking back to previous media. Uh, landscapes and seeing like okay how can we draw a connection how can we see a pattern here and if you look at um the difference between the uh connect and the we right um the connect was a device that required you to an add-on that required you to um stand up and play dodgeball and you had to get really active and get your arms out as you described you know wave your arms around and big motions um whereas the we uh, the Nintendo Wii, they actually, you, you can play all the games that it comes with on a couch. And it still lets you, you know, you move your wrist and move your hand, but you don't need to make such large body gestures and you don't need to stand up. You can do it in couch mode, if you will, right? And so if you just look at the numbers of sales, um, the Wii was a massive success and the Kinect was a total failure. No one bought the Wii, no one bought the Kinect and a lot of people, millions of homes have the Wii. Now, um, I would argue, I think that, you know, it's because exactly what you pointed out, which is people don't want to come home from work and then have to, like, have a crazy activity that engages their whole body in order to play. They want to just sit on the couch and relax, just like they're used to, right? Except now they have this extra added fun thing they can do from that same place that they're used to. Um, they often talk about that in UX design where, you know, kind of, creating features that people um, are naturally inclined to utilize rather than creating features that people have to kind of go out of their way uh, to access. And so, um, so I think you're, you're probably onto something where people don't actually want to spin around in 360 and move their arms in big ways to, uh, to just, you know, fill out a form or fill out a spreadsheet or, you know, sort of the, the future version of write an email. Um, you shouldn't need to stand up and reach your arms out in order to do that. Um, and I like the idea of eyes. I also think, you know, voice computing is a kind of compelling mm-hmm. space, uh, voice interactivity with, with VR. And then um, the for me, the ultimate, uh, which I think maybe we're like 100 years away from, but that people are already experimenting with is that brain, uh, the brain interface, brain-human interface, uh, brain-computer interface, I think yep. they call it. Um, and... Uh, so, I, you know, and I know that there's been journalistic pieces done with that from uh, Sarah Hill and others. And there's been, I know, VR Playhouse, uh, Christina and Ian at VR Playhouse have been um, doing a lot of work in, the, in that space. And so that, 
I think is, you know, when you just think it, you're like, oh, I got to write that email. Here's what's in it. Okay. Da, da, da. And you're like thinking, thinking, thinking. And it's just like, and the, there's the email. And, you know, so it's like, mm, maybe tweak those things or whatever. Now that I can see my thoughts like visually, okay, let's move this around, move that around. But in general, it feels like that might be the real holy grail, holy grail for me is like direct from, from brain to, uh, to virtual environment. Yeah, that's the holy grail for the NSA, too. <laughs> they, <laughs> that's they can, right. They can read your thoughts, too. That thing is connected to the Internet. Therefore, it's going straight <laughs> to their vaults. But that's okay. That's it's, right. not like, it's not like we're thinking about anything bad. <laughs> Man. Oh, yes. Let me ask you about using VR for social change because this is, you know, this is something that you have experience with. You are mm -hmm. one of the directors of the award-winning Clouds of Residra. Um, it's, it, I think it was released in 2015. Um, mm -hmm. looking back, you know, how do you reflect upon that experience? Um, I feel very honored and privileged to have just, you know, been given the opportunity to be part of that. Um, originally it was definitely sort of seen as an experiment, uh, but it was, it turned out to be a very successful experiment. Um, and I think that in a lot of ways, uh, what was successful is in, it's sure the, the content is compelling, But, but really, it's the, um, the motivation and the strategy around impact uh, that is almost more valuable than the model of, uh, you know, a short documentary film. So if, if we went into all of our creative endeavors with the idea that I want this creative endeavor to create real-world change, and how would I measure that real-world change, Right. And as we think about that for Clouds of Residra, we were able to get it into, you know, really high-level meetings at the UN, at giant donor conferences where, you know, when we added it, they uh, ended up getting way more money than expected. Um, when, you know, they give it to UNICEF, face-to-face uh, -face fundraisers on the, for street teams, um, you know, they double the frequency of the people that donate. Uh, from instead of one out of 12 people they talk to donating to become one out of six people they talk to donating. Um, and then, of course, donations are all uh, higher on average as well. So um, I think just really going in with the intention when, you, when you're creating content um, that is mission-driven, that is sort of for social good and social change, um, making sure to focus uh, as well on, um, on sort of how you're going to make the impact because there are millions of pieces of content, millions of media being created every day with an impact mission, but rarely are they really strategically uh, being created. Rarely are they, is there sort of a, a real plan, um, an action plan around distribution, around activating audiences um, for that cause, utilizing that kind of content. So, Uh, in some ways, the biggest lesson I've learned is just that that intention and that sort of uh, focus, that focus on, on impact is what really makes makes things work. And and yeah, we can all be better storytellers. We can all, you know, watch more, read more, learn more, uh, practice more, try it, try it, try it. Um, but at the end of the day, great content um, is we're in a noisy world. You know, there's a lot of good content. Um, there's probably now, since Clouds of Procedure, there's probably been thousands of 360 documentaries shot and edited and, and published. But, uh, you know, not thousands of, uh, of big impact opportunities have come from all of those, right? And, and they could have, 
Um, it just takes a little more effort, a little more thinking. Um, it takes a network. It takes um, a real strategy around it. And so that that would be my takeaway um, in the end is is that storytelling is kind of the same as it's always been. You know, compelling characters, uh, compelling characters that are able to make uh, relevant, relatable, direct connections with their audience. I mean, that's what stories are, you know? And so that's what stories are, whether they're a novel or a play or a movie or a TV show uh, or a VR film. Um, they require that, you know? And so if uh, once you've mastered that or once you have a sort of a good handle on that, it's really how do you want to make impact in the world um, and, and aiming your energy and efforts at that. So how do you approach the question of um, monetization and impact? Is it is it is it is this one of those things where like you you got to choose one cuz you can't have both? <laughs> I hope not. <laughs> uh, or is there or is there a way or should we even monetize on impact? Is there are there ethical uh, conversations being held around that? Um, but yeah, how do you sure. approach that? Sure. So um in my experience, so there are there are large uh, nonprofits, large foundations, uh, large institutions that are their mission is to help others, um, and and they do have budgets. They do have marketing budgets. They definitely are aware of 360 video and VR in general um, as a as a tool, a potential tool they could be using um, to further their mission, further their cause. So. There are opportunities out there, everything from Conservation International, um, you know, to, I don't know, Google Arts and Culture, to uh, to the CSR budgets of a lot of big companies even. You know, of course, there there's corporate social responsibility budgets out there, and they are looking to make a difference in the world. Um, and uh, And usually those are unrelated to the sort of products or services of that company. Um, of course, if they're just greenwashing, you know, whatever they're doing, then that's not the same. I mean, true social responsibility, uh, from corporations and, um, and most do really, uh, lean into that. And, um, so there are budgets out there, I think identifying, you know, where there's sort of pockets of money, whether it's the, you know, in some ways it's, I often tell people, um, when they listen to NPR, if they just write down all the uh, contributing sponsors for that show that they like, um, they, those, that would be a great first hit list of uh, places to go pitch, right? So it's the MacArthur Grant Foundation, the you know Knight Foundation, the uh, you know whatever they list at the end of those shows. Those are the ones. That's who's paying for media, you know, for media for good. So um, those would be the people I would probably tap first if that was kind of the angle. But at the same time. Um, I think there is a real kind of uh, there's this misconception around social good that you have to kind of be a martyr. Or you can't, you know, there's no way you could uh, make it into a career or make money from it. Um, but actually, you know, when you look at some of the biggest mm, media companies out there that are that are fighting the good fight, doing a lot of social good, they're they're often very successful and and they do fine. Um, if you look at Riot, for instance. Riot started out doing activist videos. I mean, it was like a counterculture website that made flatties that were about, you know, kind of uh, somewhere between Vice News and, um, you know, the people's David Attenborough. But it became, uh, they got acquired by AOL. Now they're doing, you know, they have a much bigger portfolio um, of topics. And 
but I, I could see that as a path. You know, they've done great work to help indigenous communities around the world, to help people with land rights and to help the environment. And, and so, uh, and they found success, you know, that, that turned it, they were able to turn that into a financial success. And so I don't think it's unattainable. I just think it takes some thought and some effort. Um, and for sure, as always, it takes a big network and a good network. And so going out and meeting the people and showing up at events and um, being active is a way to kind of um, be part of those communities. And, and then it's much easier uh, to find the funds that lie in those communities for this sort of creative endeavors. Very cool. So I think we're down to the final question and we're going to leave it with what is what do you think is the ultimate potential of virtual reality? I think the ultimate potential of virtual reality is to improve humanity. We can make humans 2.0 uh, with virtual reality. I think that there's a big opportunity to teach people to be better people, better citizens, uh, better stewards uh, of our environment through virtual reality um, and through the visions that it can help us see uh, of the future that we want. Yeah, I um, I can't wait till we have the virtual reality experience where I can empathize with being a turtle. Um, <laughs> I think there is one where they do animals uh, in the eyes of animals, through the eyes of animals. Dude, dude, there you go. So There you go. I, I conclusively concluded that you, sir, are a scholar and gentleman of virtual reality. How can people stay in touch <laughs> and follow up with all the things you're doing these days? Great. They can find me on Twitter at B Pausman uh, or on Facebook. Uh, feel free to just friend request me and I'll say yes because I'm nice like that. Very awesome. 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 <laughs> All those links will be included in the show notes. Barry Pozman, thank you so much for your time. You got it. All right. Thanks, Chris. I appreciate it.